you're at, I think. Here, thank you. <laughs> I'll just turn that over. So, um, looking forward to the to the message today. You know, I, I do send greetings from. Uh, from Greater Hope Baptist Church. Greater Hope Baptist Church. A few weeks ago, at this point, maybe a couple months ago, Lee Ridings came and spoke on a Tuesday night. He's a pastor in Dallas, Georgia. If you didn't know, there is a Dallas, Georgia. I had the opportunity because of work to be in Atlanta this week, and then uh, Lee invited me over to speak at his church on Wednesday. Had a had a chance to get, uh, to, to to share the word a little with that fo- with those folks, but get loved on. So greetings from uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ in, in Dallas. It's neat to see what they've got. They're praying for a new building as well and due to growth and, and that like. And so, yeah, it's just it's good stuff. It's an honor to uh, to serve our Lord in the midst of, of, of these things. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back in our lessons from, from Jesus' questions study this week. Uh, as, as we have mentioned before, you know, a question is a sentence worded or expressed to elicit information. Uh, it's it's meant to cause an interaction, right? It's meant by definition a question needs a response, even if it's a rhetorical question. The response is an internal thought process, right? So a question elicits uh, thought, interaction, this information. And today we're going to look at uh, a, pa- a couple of passages. They're on your on your uh, handout there, certainly in scripture. And I'm going to take a moment to read through both of them. And then we're going to we're going to deal with uh, what some people will call would would actually call a contradiction in Scripture. So uh, so it, it's we're going to have to unpack it a little bit. We're going to have some fun in the process of unpacking it. At least that's the goal is that we're going to have some fun unpacking it. We'll see how that goes. But in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her son, her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on my right, uh, on thy right hand, and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall, in, uh, ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism, baptism that I baptize with. But to sit on my right hand and sit on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Excuse me. And then if we jump into Mark chapter 10, we see the corollary passage... Notice, it's, there's a lot of clapping today. Uh, notice in, J- in Mark chapter 10, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we desire. And they said unto him, what, uh, what we, or, I'm sorry, and he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, 
Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I'm baptized with, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And so uh, what, I, what I've generally been doing is putting up a little bit of a slide. There's a, there's a technique in preaching and teaching is that you need to tell people what you're going to tell them. You need to tell them what you're going to tell You need to, to tell them, rather. So you're gonna you gotta tell them what you're gonna tell them. You gotta tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Okay. So I'm just being really transparent. I'm telling you what I'm fixing to tell you. Then I'm gonna tell you about it, and then I'm gonna tell you what I told you. Okay. Because it's the price of Sam would call it the price of repetition is the price or, or repetition is the price of learning. So I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna talk about today. Then we'll jump into it. What, so the questions that we're looking at are on the left. What wilt thou? What would ye that I should do for you? Two different questions in the two different accounts. And then the questions that he asks, Jesus asks the, the two guys, are you able to drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Okay. Now, we need to spend some time aligning events in Scripture because the way this is postured, it's two different stories, two different dynamics, and either we've got a contradiction or we need to reconcile it. So we're going to spend some time on that. Desire can be troubling. This desire that these guys and their mother had for them to be in a place of perceived importance can create problems, right? We actually will see a little bit after each of these passages the other disciples get frustrated by that by basically asking for preference we'll talk about the cup and the baptism and then the promise to be fulfilled so first our series study point number 18 so we are in our 18th study in this series allow scripture to align events Allow Scripture to explain the events. You shouldn't have to manipulate Scripture or um, otherwise explain it away. In Matthew chapter 20, if you perceived it when I was reading, the mother asks Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, the sons ask Jesus. So which is it? In Matthew, it's the mom. Mark, it's the sons. We have a contradiction because most scholars would say this is the exact same event. There's, the, there's too much overlap. The, what's happening before, what's happening after, it's the same. Yet the account is different. And these are the kinds of things that people will challenge your faith with if you get in a conversation and sometimes they'll say, Scripture's inconsistent, and they'll go to these two, pa- to these two passages and say, in one, the mother is asking the questions, in the other, the sons are asking the questions, and the interactions are different, yet you say Scripture's infallible, you say Scripture should be trusted for salvation, something is important, they can't even get these two stories straight. Now, a few weeks ago, 
well, more than a few weeks ago. In lesson number eight, we talked about gospel alignment. I would encourage you to go back, look over those notes, maybe listen to that message again, or at least that portion of the message. When we talked about the different accounts of the gospels and what they were trying to communicate. Because differences and variances in the gospel accounts are for a purpose. If you want to find a contradiction, if you're coming to scripture with doubt the Lord will give you plenty of rope to proverbially hang yourself Okay, he will give you plenty of reason to doubt the scripture if you come to the Lord seeking wisdom according to uh, James he will give you wisdom he will allow the two stories that appear to be different and contradictory to align. I'm going to try to do that this morning. We're going to spend a few minutes doing that. But it's important. You'll find what you're looking for in Scripture. If you're looking for a contradiction, you'll find it. He will give you that. Because God doesn't play games like that. Okay, fine. There's enough there. If you don't, if you don't trust me... I'm good. I will deal with you in another way. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I don't mean that inappropriate. He will use something else. He will teach you. He will convict. He'll maybe cause uh, a death in your family. He'll maybe allow a death in your family or a a disease or a car accident, something to rattle your cage to then say, okay, now I'm willing to learn. But if you approach Scripture with, Lord, I don't understand how... I mean, I believe Scripture. I believe it for my salvation. I believe that you're God of the universe. Yet, these two passages appear different. (laughs) Explain it to me. Help me learn through it. Help me understand what you're trying to do. He'll show you. I believe that. So, the conversation is definitely two different parties. Like, we're not just trying to massage the story a little bit to make the round peg fit in the square hole or the square peg in the round hole. He's interacting with two different people. So what is the resolution? I'm going to do something I've never done before that I think I've never done before in this class. It is a technique I have used before in teaching the Bible. And in in doing that, I need a, a lady volunteer, and I need three guy volunteers. Alright. So, you're going to come on up. Three guys, thank you for volunteering. I need three guys to volunteer. Don't make me call you out by name. So, come on. It's not hard. I will, I will empower you with everything you need to know. Alright, thank you. You will not be injured in the making of this production. Okay. There are no prizes. There are no prizes. Alright. So, quick vote, and I think I know the answer. Who looks the most like Jesus? At least what we've seen on movies. All right, no, no, he, 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 he's gonna be Jesus. All right, all right. So, so you guys come over here. We're gonna do something, a little something that I call whole heart theater. Okay, so you have now entered into whole heart theater. Okay. All right. Now bear with me. This is not. I believe there are times like this 
where if you just take the scripture and lay it out as if it's a play, you will understand what happens. Okay? So I've taken the scripture and I've turned it into a script. I will be the narrator for the purposes of the script, scripture, script, that it does not have a part, okay? We have the mother. Congratulations on having two lovely sons. One that shouldered me. Yes. And one oh. a little. Yeah. No, hey, facts are facts. That's right. Um, so you have your, your part, right? Yeah, I was great at drama, so... I you, 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 well, we don't need... No. Okay, don't be uh, too dramatic here. <laughs> but, and so you see your part. Now, you guys, you have, you're the brothers, and we can't tell who's actually speaking separated at birth, I can tell. Um, <laughs> but so, so just try to coordinate what is being said. All right. Then, so, so you need to follow the narrator... Okay, here we, bear with me. All right, here we go. Then came, then came, okay. Stay with me. Then came unto him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing. Jesus, oh, I'm sorry. What will thou? Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left. You know not what you ask. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, who would thou put us do for whatsoever we shall desire? What would ye that I should do for you? Bring him to us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand and be glory. You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? We can. We are able. You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Okay. Round of applause for our actors. You are you are able to sit down. So thank you. Alright. So do you see what just happened there? You can keep it. It's a souvenir of your time. Someday when you're uh, a wonderful, you know, holding an Oscar, you can hold up that paper and say, this is where, I was going to say this is where it all started, but, well, but you said you already took a class. That's where it technically started. This was the middle point. This was uh, the second step. All right. So, yeah, whole heart theater. And it was worth the price of admission, was it not? All right. But did you see what happened when I simply took the scripture and I laid it out in a way that actually could happen? She had an interaction with Jesus. And then he turns his attention to them. They have the similar but different interaction with Jesus. And he addresses them. 
Did you see? I know we were having fun in the process. So the way it's written, if you look at the Matthew 20 passage, he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant these my two sons may sit, right? And then it slides down into the common text, the text that's in both passages. In Mark chapter 10, the focus is on James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they said, and and he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? So his interaction with the mom doesn't negate that he needs to have an interaction with two grown men. I mean, it kind of makes sense. They, these, are not, these are his disciples. These are not children. So when the mom petitions... Well, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So, so this is how we look at it in Matthew 20 and Mark 10. But the order of what actually happens, and, and you have this on, if you wanted to draw arrows, I left that on your page if you wanted to draw arrows, right? So Matthew chapter 20, Mark, you don't have to, but Mark chapter 10. But the story actually goes like this. The interaction with the mom then the interaction with the sons, then the common response. Okay? That explains or reconciles what appears to be a contradiction, and for someone who doesn't want to believe the Lord, he'll let them believe that two men somehow messed up the account and they couldn't even get who Jesus was talking to correctly. Now, how did I get here? Because I, I just presented this to you. I want to walk you through my, my thought process on this. So, you have this on... There's nothing to fill out. There, there are no blanks to fill out. You have this on your page. The who in the first account in Matthew 20... This side, I probably should have put Mark, Mark 10 on this side, so I apologize. You can make that note. The who comes is the mother, but her two sons are near, are with her, right? In the Mark account, the focus is on the two sons. The request is, she asks that my two sons sit, and they then ask us, we grant us. And then notice, this is really important. This is where doctrine comes in. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on this today, but the story is different for a purpose. In the book of Matthew, very kingdom-focused, right? Very kingdom-focused. Jesus is the king of a kingdom. She says, Grant that my two sons may sit at thy side in... And I'm messing it up a little bit. In thy kingdom. She uses that. Mark, the very servant-focused book... They say, grant that we might sit beside you in your glory when you're finally glorified. That is not, folks, that is not an inconsistency or contradiction. That is a delineation. One party is focused on his kingdom, the mom. Should do it this way, the mom. The boys are focused on his glory. It's a differentiation. It's a delineation. I don't know how else to, what else to call it. His response is very similar. Ye know not what you ask to both of them. 
And this is where people say, well, just because Jesus said the same thing, so the account must be wrong. Is it not possible? I mean, we actually witnessed it. Jesus said, Mom, you know not what you ask. The boys ask. Boys, you know not what you ask. Like, that's not that weird of an interaction. It's, it's really not. Well, it was a weird interaction, but that's <coughs> it's because of the actors. Um, and then the challenge, can you, be, can, you the, can you sons drink and be baptized? Can you drink and be baptized? Now, this is really important, and we're going to call this out in just a second. But who responded? The sons, okay? So the keys to breaking this out is the mother came desiring, <coughs> excuse me, in Matthew 20, and Jesus responds to her. And if you look at the passage, you can look in Scripture or on, on your page, notice there's a change in the object of who Je- the person of who Jesus is talking to. She saith unto him, Grant these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Who's he answering? Her. Ye know not what ye ask. <clears throat> we assume that he is therefore continuing um, to speak to her when he says, Are ye able to drink of the cup that I drink of? No. That's a change in the subject or the object because they say unto him, We are able. He has changed who he is speaking to. Scripture makes it obvious. The words, when you've heard me say it, you've heard other pastors, teachers in this church say the words, individual words of Scripture are important. This is the kind of reason why they're important. Because she asks a question, Jesus is continuing, but we don't have the... Um, I don't know, the ability to have seen the, the, the story play out in actuality. So, so the Lord leaves enough in the passage, if we would just believe it for what it says, who's he talking to? Well, he starts talking to the mom, and then he addresses the sons. It's not a hard deal. Like, I was standing in the back, Brandon and I were, were fooling with the camera, and Chris and I had been talking, I think, about the bike ride, and at one point I did that thing, and then I turned and I re-engaged Chris for a moment. Like, I didn't have to say, and now I will speak to Chris. <laughs> I am no longer speaking to Brandon. I'm speaking to Chris. We don't, huh? Oh, oh, so you want me to do that. Okay. <coughs> well, Scripture doesn't always do that, so we're going to have to talk about that separately. But, like, Jesus changed who's, who he's talking to. And that, that one key, I would argue, aligns the two stories. So notice, he abruptly changes the focus, and that leaves space for the Mark 10 passage to fit very nicely in there. Okay? So in the Matthew 20 passage, it appears to be one continuous story with no breaks. And that's fine if you're reading Matthew chapter 20. It works. But when you go to reconcile two passages of Scripture that appear to be contradictory, there is in fact room a change in who Jesus is talking to, which allows the other passage to nest very well. Again, we talked about this a little bit in Matthew 20, and this is a a fill-in-the-blank for you. He's seated in his kingdom.
kingdom versus seated in his glory. Jesus does address the mother's desire, okay? And what, um, it's interesting because Jesus addresses what they want done. Those are two slightly different things as well, right? He says to her, um, Grant these my two sons, uh, or these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, I'm in the Matthew 20 story, are ye, um, ye know not what ye ask. Okay? And then, um, um, no, I'm sorry, no, no, I messed up. Go farther back up. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What do you want? Right? What wilt thou? What do you want? But in the Mark story, he said, What would ye that I should do for you? Those are two different responses. This is not some translation error. This is not some scribe issue of this lineage of, of documentation and this lineage of documentation. He says to the mother, What do you want? Because it's her desire for her sons to sit on either side. But he says to the sons, what do you want me to do for you? Because they want to sit on his side. One's a desire, one's tied to action. It, 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 honestly, it makes a lot of sense. Just when you, when you trust scripture for what it says. So the alignment of the same narrative creates a contrast in other areas. So the fact that <clears throat> the end of this passage, the last few verses of each of these passages, very nicely overlaps. The cup, the baptism, preparation, who's going to sit on the, my right hand and the left. The fact that that narrative lines up very well creates a contrast where it doesn't align very well. So that means we need to give it the attention that it deserves to create the alignment. I've talked for 25 minutes. Do you understand? Do you get it? Okay. I probably should have stopped earlier because you seemed like you were getting it. So this brings us to our first lesson. The first lesson, desire can be troubling. They want... They want something, and why do they want it? They want it for themselves. And so we're going to do a quick study on this, this concept of desire. Genesis chapter, it's, oh, it's added, desire is part of the response from God relative to the first sins recorded in Scripture. In Genesis 3.16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. It's actually part of the consequence is to have a desire. In Genesis chapter 4, now dealing with Cain and Abel, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not, well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So it's really interesting that desire is quickly out of the gate associated with sin and with judgment of sin. It's also addressed in the law. It's addressed in the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife. Notice, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house or his field or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or ass. Like, there's a difference between, I mean, last time I checked, there's a difference between the word covet and different between the word desire. Like, he specifically calls out, don't desire your neighbor's wife. 
Like that's going to end up in a bad situation. In Deuteronomy 7, I'm sorry that we're not having nearly as much fun <laughs> as they are. We, we had theater though, for free. All right. In Deuteronomy 7, the graven images of their gods shall, be, uh, shall you burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them. So when they're supposed to judge idols that have been made by people and burn them, and they're not supposed to be like, ooh, there's, let me get that gold off of there, <laughs> right? Like that, not, and, and, and look, I don't want to run too far with that, but in this context, in this law, like let it be. Don't desire it. Let it be. Now it's also apparent in the motive. Notice, notice these passages, and these are, these are passages from what they call the wisdom books, right? There's books of wisdom. In Job 21, desire not the knowledge, well, I should read the whole, therefore they say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. I don't even want what you've got, got God, what you have to give, right? Uh, in Psalm 10, for the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. In Psalm 112, the wicked shall see it and shall be grieved, and he shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. I mean, that's a good thing, ultimately, that the desire of the wicked will perish. But just notice how you've got to be real careful with desire. These two young men and their mom both petition, and I'm going to use that terminology, both petition the Lord to sit at his right hand and at his left. And it's real interesting because Jesus sits at the right hand of God. There is arguably a devotional lesson that one of them wants to knock God the Father out of his seat so that they can sit at Jesus' left hand, right? They don't get it. They probably aren't they probably aren't trying to do that. But desire can lead you the wrong direction. And this is not necessarily just the stuff we've talked about, like inappropriate desires. Like, don't desire this, what I do, so to speak. Let the Lord build that up in you. Somebody told me years ago, like, don't... and, and, And arguably, it explains why I was... 50 when I got ordained. Like, if you can do anything else before being a pastor, do it. If you can stay and not be a missionary, stay until the Lord compels you to move forward. You can't just do this based on a feel-good. It can't just be based on a desire. I mean, if we were all moved by desire... Like, I'm pretty sure I'd be living in Tampa helping, you know, Mark Schaefer out. Tampa sounds like a nice place. <laughs> Golden Park Fellowship sounds like fun to me. Especially during ski season and summer in the mountains. But we can't make decisions based on desire. We have to let the Lord do the work. It's interesting because in the passage, and I'll just touch on it, um, when the ten heard it in verse 24 when the ten heard it they were moved with indignation against the two brethren 
And there's a similar pass, a similar concept over in, in Mark because now the men or their moms are letting their desire get in the way of fellowship. They're actually allowing what they want to have happen to get to be elevated. Now, this is the desire funneled the right way can be very powerful. So it is appropriate in the righteous when it's appropriate. And I know that's a, that's a profound you should like you should tweet that out. Mitch said appropriate is right is when it's appropriate. Like notice in Job, surely I would speak to the Almighty and that I desire to reason with God. I literally desired to connect with him. In Psalm 10 and verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. Psalm uh, 38, 9. Lord, all my desire is before you, is before thee. I'm laying it down, and my groaning is not hid from thee. I want my desire to align with your purposes, Lord. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee, God. Like you can funnel, you can channel your desire into the right thing. Okay? It is possible. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. Notice the fear comes before, the fear and respect comes before the fulfilling the desire. He will also hear their cry and will save them. So desire done right, done appropriately, can turn into a very strong motivator. It can also create all sorts of problems. Because what happens is, if we just stand alone on our desire and we don't run it through Scripture, we end up walking up to Jesus and saying, can I sit on your right hand or on your left? As compared to saying, Lord, where would you have me? I mean, Jesus even talks about that in another parable. I didn't take the time to pull it up. I don't know the reference off the top of my head. Like, don't go and sit at the high table and then have the people be like, I'm sorry, you need, you're sitting in the back. Sit at the low table and be invited to the high table. Don't let your desire for the proximity... I, one time I am going to do this in my life, and I'm getting to the age where I might just do it because I don't care. I'll go to a wedding, and I'm just going to sit at the head table. <laughs> now, it's ridiculous, right? Michelle's like, no, nah, not with me. I'm going to turn around and walk away. It's like, you are on your own. They always get to eat first. <laughs> I know. Always. It's just a form of desire. It is a form of desire. It's a, but do, do you see the point? The point is the desire not checked, not balanced, not run through Scripture can create really awkward situations. It can actually create divisions, in, in this case, in the disciples, right? Now, it's like, well, why, like, why do you guys, why do you think you get to do that? Right? And now I'm thinking inappropriate thoughts. Now I'm comparing myself with a bag. Well, I think I should sit at the right hand. I mean, I'm pretty committed. Right? I'm sure Peter's response, it's not recorded, but I can only imagine Peter being like, boy, what are you thinking? You know, like, I mean, uh, you know, it's just creating problems that don't need to exist. The second, our second lesson of the day, the cup and the baptism. 
And this is really important because what they're asking for in sitting near him is they're signing up for their own death. Okay? They're signing up for their own death. The cup is actually very clear. In Matthew 26, a couple different verses. Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is praying. Right? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he went away again the second time, praying, saying, Oh, again, that's a few verses down. Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. In some more passage in Mark 14, take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I, what I will, but what thou wilt. In Luke 24 or 22:42 saying father if thou be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done in John 18 the cup which my father hath given me shall i not drink it what is this cup? It's clearly defined in Jeremiah 25 and verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand. Jesus is very clear when he is praying and he is talking about the cup. This is not the cup of, of, of communion. This is the cup of literally the fury, the judgment of the Lord pouring out on him. And he would prefer not to take it in his humanness, but nevertheless not his will, the Father's be done. He knows that the judgment of all of humanity's sin is getting ready to be laid on his, on his body. And he would prefer not that, that not to happen. And these guys have the, I guess I'll use the word audacity, to say, yeah, we're able. Yeah, we're in. Sign us up. And the baptism, the baptism is a burial after the cup. In Romans chapter 6, and uh, verse 3 and 4, Know ye not that so many of, of us uh, as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. You know, this this morning, and I, I try to feel it out, and I try to be spirit-led. Obviously, I let my flesh get in the way sometimes, but I, I love walking up and trying to, to settle the baptism candidates because they're almost always nervy, nervous. And so today, I don't remember Sarah, is it? I don't remember if that was the young lady's name. It's... Okay, so it was yeah, it was an S uh, word. Um, so I'm old. I'm 50. Yeah, I don't have to remember these things. So, um, so I walk up to her and I said, "Praise the Lord for your decision." She's like, "Thanks," and I can tell she's nervous. And I said, "Did you did you sign a waiver?" And she looked at me. And I said, "Brandon's only killed one during baptism." I said, "He forgot to bring them back up." He just went down and then left. And and Brandon's sitting right next to her and he laughs. He's like, yeah, I was all about the death, but I just forgot about the resurrection. And, and so usually by that point they get that I'm joking and it's going to be okay and I tell them we love them and, right? But it, well. She's afraid she's not coming back down. Yeah. I think, I think she got that that's really not happened. Like she was going to be lifted up. She was only going to be in the water for, for a moment, right? Which honestly for most people isn't the issue, but I was just trying to trying to, to chill her out a little bit. But what if we just saw a testimony of this. Buried in the likeness of his death. 
but raised up in the likeness of his resurrection, right? So continuing in Romans in verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And notice it's a really hard passage. We don't have a lot of time to get into it. We don't have any time to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because people totally misapply this passage really badly. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? Now, they want to try to make this a thing that you need to baptize for dead people. That's not what he's saying. He's like, why else would we baptize for the dead? Like, why would we associate the baptism with the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? So he's literally, Paul is literally saying, we baptize in death, or for dead, so that we can show the resurrection. So Jesus and his interaction to the mom and the two boys is like, specifically speaking to the boys, can you drink of this cup? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Let me just encourage you. If you find yourself in that moment with God where he says, and it might be through a preacher, it might be through his word, it might be through his Holy Spirit, are you willing to do X? Be careful saying, yep, I'm able. Because it'll hold you to it. Their response should have been something along the line of, what's the cup and what's the baptism? (laughs) Before I sign up, can you be a little more explicit? But out of their exuberance, they're like, yeah, we're able. Well, indeed they were. Indeed they were. And for that I give them credit. We, I didn't take time, but both of these men suffered great persecution, personally. They felt the, the fury, the, the judgment of the Lord, so to speak, in the form of man's judgment on them. They went through a lot to share the gospel. They, in fact, held up their end of the bargain. But Jesus says to them, Ye shall indeed, ye shall indeed drink this cup and and be baptized. That commitment will be fulfilled. And so our last point in our last remaining few minutes, use care when making a commitment. Use a lot of care. If someone walks up to you and says, do you want to lead X? Do you want to disciple? Do you want to sign up for LFBI? Do you want to manage this for the church? Do you want to... Most of us are people pleasers. Most of us will say, well, yeah. And I've been trying to do this more recently. Before you answer, pray... Get back with me if you need some time to think about it. Don't feel like you have to, to answer this right now. Like, because our response almost always is yes, because we haven't counted the cost. Right? And I welcome you, if I ask you to do something, for you to say, well, what's all that involved? Like, I'm going to need, need a little more information on that. Right? Now, if it's something simple, like signing up for a snack... Maybe you don't need to pray about it. But maybe you say, yeah, I got it covered. And then you're like, crap, I'm going to be out of town that week. Right? 
Can you say crap when you're preaching and teaching? Okay, no? Okay. I, I take it back. I apologize. Dang. Darn it. I'm going to be out of town that week. You say shit. Yeah, I prefer gopher wood, personally. Um, but, um, but even in those moments, we tend to get out over our skis. We tend to make promises a few weeks ago, right? I had uh, the guy from Top Gun. I can't remember. Uh, Sawyer something. I think it was his name. Major Sawyer, if I'm not mistaken. You know, your, ch- your body's right in... Ch- or your ma- ego's right in checks. Your body can't cash, young man. Right? So many times... Our desire to be involved, our desire to want to help, our joy of being asked to do something, and we say, yep, take a moment, think about it. Don't feel like like the weight of the world does, like lands on this decision of if you can do this or not. It's going to be okay. Take a moment. Literally, it was the law. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. In Deuteronomy 23, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee. Like, He's going to expect you to fulfill, like, word. Your word is a big deal. So it was a law, but it's also a principle. It's also a principle. In Job twenty two twenty seven, Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. If you have committed something to the Lord and have not fulfilled it, let's talk about how you, need, you may need to fulfill that. He literally may be waiting on you to keep your word in order to bless you in some other area. It, it's, a, it's a very real possibility. In Psalm 76, verse 11, Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Now this isn't necessarily pay, but you're fulfilling your commitment. In Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5 it says, And when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou should not us vow then thou should vow and not pay. I would literally rather you say to me, if I say, can you do X? I would rather you say, no. Because then at least I know it's, you, you can't cover it or you can't do it. Then to vow a vow, commit to something that you can't fulfill. I mean... If Sam Sam approached me a few years ago and said, "Can you can you take a can you take a fellowship from Mike Renault?" I wasn't like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever, sure." I'm, I ain't got anything else going on Sundays, or like eight hours the rest of the week so I can prepare and time for breakfast with people and time for meetings and preparing budget requests and praying over fo- like like it's real easy when somebody asks you. But if I pay, if I made the vow, I need to pay it. I need to be here. I need to be present. I need to commit to you all, 
what's going on, right? So please, please be careful about the commitments that you make to the Lord in ministry. The commitments, I won't say that you make to me or to leadership, because we're just a conduit of the, of the request. Please, please be very careful. Your desire can cause you to lean way out over your abilities. Let's, ma- let's move in a measured step. Like, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. At least, I don't believe I'm going to ask you to do anything that I don't think you're capable of doing, either in your own ability, like serving coffee, and or in the Spirit, trusting the Lord to lead. Right? Trusting the Lord to prepare. If I ask, you know, Brian or ask Brandon to speak on my behalf, I'm confident that they have the 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 ability to not stand up here and freeze, but also the Holy Spirit's going to speak to them on what to prepare. Right? So just be very mindful. Don't let your desire drive these things unless it's a godly desire and then let's be a little patient let's be a little mature in how we get out how we deal with the Lord in these things it's okay to say I'm not ready right now to do X I know we've, we've talked about that with some of the, the ladies in the program and some of the guys in the program with respect to discipleship. Because we stand up here and we say, you should be discipled, you should be discipled. But you've got a lot going on. And it's okay to take a step back. Or maybe you've got a tough season at work where you've got a lot of overtime and that's going to end in three weeks. Well, let's revisit it. It's okay. Like, let's not create stress that doesn't need to be there. Let's be measured. Let's be mature in our process. I wish James and John would have been a little more mature. We can learn from, I guess I'll call it their error, certainly from their mom's desire for, their, for her sons. Thank you again for those who participated in Whole Heart Theater. There will be future opportunities for the rest of you. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for... We thank you for the message. I, I, I don't mean that focused on me. I, th- I thank you for the things you showed me and the fact that, that Scripture does align, that it lines up perfectly and, and rightly and that you are differentiating and delineating on purpose. And I just I pray that we learn from from these interactions around Jesus' questions that we would understand that what you're calling us to is serious. What you're calling us to takes sobriety and takes you know counting the cost, reckoning ourselves dead and 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 it's not something we should jump into lightly. I I want I so want everyone under the sound of my voice to to grow in their spiritual walk, but I want them to grow. I don't want them to to, to make commitments that they can't can't fulfill and then feel like a failure. I don't want them to to try to run a marathon when they can't even crawl yet. So let's just help us to be sober. Help us to be mindful on how we need to take steps in ministry and commitments and and help us to pay our vows when we make them, Lord. Help us to to fulfill whatever uh, we have committed to. And we'll give you the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Anything I can do for you individually, please just let me know, and uh, Merry Christmas.